The views expressed on Science for the People are not necessarily the views of this station, its affiliates, sponsors, or advertisers. This week on Science for the People, we're helping you find a science-themed gift for that special nerdy someone on your list. Welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. It is that time of year again, listeners, when we sit down with a couple of science book nerds and talk about the best of our 2015 reading lists. With me is John Dupuy, a science and engineering librarian at the Stacey Science and Engineering Library at York University in Toronto. He can be found online at his blog, Confessions of a Science Librarian, where he keeps track of issues in Canadian science policy and often makes book recommendations. John, always lovely to have you on. Thanks. Great to be here. Also with me is Mary Brock, a scientist who works in immunology. She's a nonfiction book lover and a contributor at Skeptic, where she runs the book club column and is the co-founder of Grounded Parents, a sister site that focuses on the intersection of science, skepticism, feminism, and parenting. Mary, welcome to Science for the People. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so just so people have some idea of what we're pulling from, uh, approximately how many science books have you read in the past year? I would okay. say probably around 25, 25 to 30. Wow. Uh, I probably average like one to two a month. That uh, I'm I'm on board with Mary. I probably get to two to three books a month, maybe a little bit more, um, just both from reading for the show and just because I'm a big nerd and like to read science books. <laughs> <laughs> so stepping back for a second, how was uh, 2015 overall for you in science books? Has it been better or worse maybe than the average showing? Um, you know, I, I didn't I don't remember it being that much better because I do run a book club. So I'm constantly looking for books to add and I think this year I had to search just a little longer to find because it's it's not like there aren't a lot of great science books this year. It's just that I've been running this book club for six or seven years. So we've covered a lot of ground. And I, I keep seeing books come up with the same themes like neuroscience or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I'll agree. I think it was a pretty average. It was a pretty average year. There wasn't uh, there wasn't a big impact book year uh, book this year. Some years have you know the book that everybody wants to read, and, and there wasn't really a book like that uh, this year. And, I, and I'm thinking of something like the Henrietta Lacks book by Rebecca yeah. Sklute a few years ago, or the you know the the big Walter Isaacson tomes that uh, come out every few years. You know the, the the big book that everyone wants to read was really lacking this year. That is, I definitely noticed that as well. There doesn't seem to be that one book that kind of dominated the discussion this year like there often is. Um, I feel a little bit the same way as Mary, actually. There are a couple of books that I have been sent or that have, I've noticed that people are maybe talking about a little bit, but I'm like, I've kind of read that book before, and I don't know if it's just the year, or maybe I'm getting to that point where I've read all of the basic science books before, and so I'm constantly lurch- looking for something new or novel. Yeah, I'm not sure if we need any more this-is-all-of-physics books. <laughs> At least, at least for me, I think I think I'm done with physics. Yeah, there's this book out, and it got really great reviews. It's called "Dark Matter and the Dinosaurs: The Astounding Interconnectedness of the Universe." And you know, and, and it has to do with physics, and and I just I couldn't even get past the description. That's really bad to say, but because I've read so many physics books within the past year. Physics pop science books is interesting because it seems like it's a hard thing to do a specialty book about because you need all of this background knowledge. And I wonder if maybe someone if someone did like a specialty book that was just on one specific topic and it did one specific topic really well without giving me all the background and basically just said, like, look, 
you know, if you want all of the background in physics, if you don't have a good solid grounding, then maybe you should go and read one of those everything physics books. But this is a book for people who already have read the everything physics books. <laughs> and I think Chad Orzel's done a couple of those books, and, and those are probably better than most. But yeah, I'm, I'm done with physics. Okay, so... The best book you've read this year. Mary, why don't we start with you? Might be encroaching into the 2014 territory towards the end of that, but it's called Do Zombies Dream of Undead Sheep? Timothy Versteinen and Bradley Wojtek. I'm not really that big into neuroscience because brains kind of freak me out. You know, it's like the one organ where you get a slight injury and your personality changes, so... (laughs) That, that kind of freaks me out. But uh, what this book does is very interesting. It talks about zombies, but it talks about, um, so what what kind of uh, neuroscience would go into zombies? Like, what do you think of when you think of a zombie? You think of somebody who walks a certain way, who, who can only say brains, you know, who has an insatiable appetite. And so they went through that chapter by chapter and they said, well, if a zombie, uh, could, could a zombie have Parkinson's? Maybe, uh, you know, stuff like that. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about the rest of the organs of the zombie or, you know, whether the heart works or anything. It's just strictly about the neuroscience. So you learn a lot about neuroscience while also talking about zombies, I guess. Um, but I, I did, you know, zombies and neuroscience are both t- two subjects that I, I'm not really excited by. But for some reason in this book, it really works. John, what about you? Well, I'll um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with my traditional two choices: the graphic novel choice and the regular book choice. Uh, for me, the, the the absolute best book I read this year, probably of any of any description, was uh, the thrilling adventures of Lovelace and Babbage, the mostly true story of the first computer. And that's a kind of a graphic novely thing by Sidney uh, Padua, who's a Canadian living in the UK. And it's it's actually, what she's done with this book is actually pretty astounding. She's taken this kind of metafictional approach to the difference engine and the analytic engine and she's she's embedded an awful lot of real science and history about the analytic engine and about you know the the lives of Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage and she's she's embedded it in this metafictional alternate universe where Babbage and Lovelace were actually able to build the analytical engine and use it to solve crime and the book is both I mean the book is hilarious it is so funny but there's and there's there's footnotes of footnotes of footnotes and there's appendices where you get kind of most of the real information but I thought it was re- it was it was easily the most entertaining book I've read in an awful long time it's really really wonderful and the the book uh, the real book uh, that I read this year that I liked the best. And this one was kind of a bit harder for me to figure, to, to decide on. It's uh, Birth of a Theorem, A Mathematical Adventure by Cedric Villani. And it, he, uh, Villani's a French mathematician who won the Fields Medal uh, a few years ago. And he won, one of the things he won the Fields Medal for was his work on the no, on nonlinear Landau damping with a uh, fellow French mathematician, Clément Mouot. And this book is, a, is, it's not really about nonlinear Landau damping. It's about the collaboration between Villani and Muo on how they did the math to get to solve the problem. And so it's again it's very much it's very much an examination of of how you do mathematical research. So there was emails, there's uh, all kinds of stuff. There's kind of the story of Villani, he he did a, a fair bit about kind of what was going on in his, in his life, balancing, you know, uh, parenting and obsessive math research uh during those critical years. So I thought I thought 
that was also a really uh, a really good book in, in that it was a bit different. It's not so much about math. It's about how you do math. You know, I do have one more book to add that I almost forgot about. And it's kind of a it's kind of a nonfiction history, but it's called Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? And this is all about the history of the chicken and, you know, going back hundreds of years and the, to the wild chickens. And it was it was just a very up until like modern chickens. And it's, it's a lot about chickens, but um, it, it was just so interesting that, you know, it, it was a lot more interesting than you would think a book about chickens could be. So what about uh, was there a book that maybe pleasantly surprised you? Speaking of too much physics, one of the books that really pleasantly surprised me this year was a new biography of Max Planck. Uh, Planck, Driven by Vision, Broken by War by Brendan R. Brown. And when I was when going going into it, I, I thought it was going to be just another physics bi- physicist biography. And but on the but I, as I got into it, um, the story really revolved around Planck's uh, later years when he was quite elderly, kind of during the Nazi era. And I, I found his struggles to try and be a good person, but mostly failing because he just didn't understand at a very, very deep level how the Nazis weren't just slightly rude regular Germans. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I, you know, he was and during that during that era, he was in his 70s and 80s and, and obviously just did not understand what was going on. And I found his I found his struggles kind of really moving in a way um, to be so confused to be so at all, to be so kind of feel so lost, yet to be the the grand old man of German physics and to have everyone looking to you to, to point the way and kind of the compromises that he had to make uh, to try and keep some of the worst things from potentially happening. So I thought I was I actually I was I was uh, really really pleasantly surprised. I thought it was I thought it was a really terrific book. At the end of the day, was there a book that you absolutely couldn't put down that like you you blitzed through in in an evening or a couple of days because you just couldn't let it go? Are we including science fiction in this, or is this purely science? No, science fiction is cool too. You know what? I uh, this is a book I couldn't put down, but I have kind of mixed feelings about it, and it's Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. And I really liked this book because, uh, of course, it, it, was, it takes place in the future, but it has all these 80s references. Do you know Do you know the general premise of this book? It's very popular. I don't. And some of our listeners might not either. Well, the premise is that, uh, you know, we're in the future where the internet has basically taken over. Like, people, people just connect to this virtual world to live their lives. And uh, the creator of that uh, dies, and he doesn't have any heirs. So he sends out this this clue to this puzzle. And to figure out the puzzle, you have to basically scour his biography. And he grew up in the 70s and 80s, and he was a huge nerd. So basically, the entire world becomes obsessed with 1980s culture. <laughs> and and it's it's cool. I mean, you know, it's a game, you're figuring out a puzzle. And it, I thought it just thought it was a great science fiction read. The only part I really didn't like was uh, some of the characters were a little one dimensional, you know, like, um, of course, there's a, a female love protagonist, and she doesn't. She never wants to meet up with the male protagonist. And then in the end, we find out, you know, she's she's really shy. She thinks she's like really ugly, but it turns out she just has like a birthmark on her face or something. You know, it was just such a weird side story, and I really liked just the the puzzle solving part of it better than the the love story. <laughs> 
John, have you read any uh, science-themed fiction books that you'd really like that, that you really like this year? Uh, this this year was actually kind of a mediocre novel year for me. Um, I didn't the 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 one I guess that I read the Strain series by Chuck Hogan and Guillermo del Toro. Um, which is a little bit older, um, but uh, like probably like 2010, 11, something like that. Uh, and I, I found that I found that series, uh, uh, that trilogy, and there's the TV show based on on the on that. I found that series strangely compelling. Uh, and the, the books are, are again, real, uh, real page turners. I mean, as you, you know, when you finish them, you, you kind of realize that they made no sense at all plot wise, but they were an enormous amount of fun, uh, while you're reading it. Uh, as well, I also read, um, a strange, a very, very strange alternate history reality novel, uh, Look Who's Back by Timur Vermez, uh, keeping with my World War II theme for this year. Uh, one day Adolf Hitler wakes up in a park in Berlin in 2011 and says, how did I get here? And proceeds to become an internet YouTube star. <laughs> so a very, very broad uh, satirical look, and it was it was written and published initially in Germany to give you. It, it was fairly controversial when it came out, and the the book is actually is actually pretty the, the the book is actually pretty bizarre. There was a lot of things that I really liked about it. Is there were some parts of it that kind of fell a bit flat, and I think you had to be German to understand them. But yeah, I thought I thought that one was also pretty good. So what was the f- so John you mentioned that um the the Lovelace and Babbage book was one of the funniest science books you read this year but uh, what other really funny books have you read so funny books. Uh, the other one that I read that I thought was pretty funny was uh, has a Canadian connection. It's uh, the book by the ASAP Science people that do the ASAP Science YouTube channel. So it's answers to the world's weirdest questions, most persistent rumors, and unexplained phenomena by Mitchell Moffat and Greg Brown. And so what they've done is they've they've taken their their little explanatory YouTube messages uh, YouTube videos and uh, made them into into little illustrated uh, bits that they've put into their and then they've assembled them all into a book and they're actually they're actually mostly pretty funny the, the, the there's a there's a really there's a there's a kind of a snarky sarcastic sensibility to them at times. Uh, and so there's a, a the weird tension between you're looking at the book and you think it should be it should you think it should be for kids, but you're reading it and you're thinking, yeah, this is this is so not for kids. Um, and so yeah, there, there's a there's a bunch of stuff in there that's actually uh, that's actually really uh, really funny, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. Mary, any other funny books you've read this year that you'd love to recommend? Uh, you know, a book that I'm currently reading is called Modern Romance. And this is by Aziz Ansari and Eric Kleinenberg. And again, of course, Aziz Ansari is a comedian. So normally I don't read uh, comedians' books, but this Eric Kleinenberg is a sociologist. And this book examines, you know, what it says, modern romance, you know, how it's like with dating when you have text messaging and online dating and, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Like in the beginning, he talks about how he went on a date with someone and afterwards he sent her a text and he looked and he was like watching, staring at his text and he can see that she's read the text and then he sees the three dots that come up when someone's composing a response, but then she stops and she never talks to him ever again. And he spends like the next 24 hours just obsessively checking this and he goes, you know, this is really like a, a modern invention here. Like we, we really, maybe it's not good that we have all this access to, you know, being able to see exactly when someone reads what we write. And so, you know, and Aziz Ansari is 
just very funny and Eric Kleinenberg brings the science uh, and also I don't know I've been watching a lot of Aziz Ansari's new TV show on Netflix and it's hilarious so all in all this is a book I'm really so far it's been quite a page turner. Uh, the only really funny book I've read was The Thrilling Adventures of Lovelace and Babbage, which uh, you have already mentioned, John, but it, it is really good. I highly second that, that go and read that. It's really excellent. You know, and it, it's interesting that that book came out because another book came out called Ada Byron Lovelace and the Thinking Machine. And this is a book for children, you know, because I'm always looking for good uh, nonfiction children's books. So this is around, it says like five years, but preschool age, you could do it. And of course, it has a lot of graphics, but it's all about, you know, Ada Byron Lovelace growing up and inventing her computer and discovering her heritage. I thought that was that would be a pretty good companion book for little kids. On the topic of children's books, what have you found to be some of the best children's books this year that you found? One book I read is called The Blue Whale. And again, this is a preschool book. So lots of lots of good pictures. But you know, I remember when I was a kid, and I first found out like the size of a blue whale, and it's huge. And so this book does a really good job, like explaining all of that, just like science and, you know, how big something can be, especially when you're a little kid. Um, So that I found to be very good. There was uh, another book called The Human Body Theater. And this is more for preteens. And it's more of like a graphic novel format, but it goes through your entire body all the way down to cells, mitochondria, stuff like that. But in graphic novel format and you know, like the MC is a skeleton. So it's just like a really funny, cute uh, way to get introduced to biology. And it kind of reminded me almost of the magic school bus, but obviously it's a little updated. The publisher of Human Body Theater, First Second Press, uh, they do a lot of really great books aimed at slightly older kids. And and I've, I've read a, I've read a ton of their books over the years, and they've done a lot of really great science books. Uh, they're the ones that did the Feynman biography a few years ago. Ago, and they did the Primates books, a uh, book a few years ago. The other one that they did this year that I really liked um, was Secret Coders by Jean Luen Yang, which is, um, again, one of the, it's kind of a, a fictionalized high school where the, pr- the protagonists need to deal with robot, uh, robot wielding uh, janitors and that sort of thing. And, um, uh, and I thought it was, they, they, they do a pretty good job of using, of using the setting and the quirky things that happen to explain some of the fundamental ideas in computing. And it's it, the first book ends with a cliffhanger, and so it leaves us waiting uh, breathlessly for Secret Coders number two, which I think is due out sometime next year. So that one, I that one I also I also really enjoyed. Uh, a couple of other kids books that I got that I really enjoyed was the pop up book uh, How Machines Work, Zoo Break by David McCauley, and uh, also there was a Steve Jobs biography, uh, Steve Jobs Insanely Great by Jesse Hartland that came out this year aimed again at, at young people. And I thought it did a good job of, of, you know, telling kind of the exciting side of Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs's life with also kind of not overly glossing over the fact that he was kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a challenging thing to do in a kid's book. <laughs> and, and well, I mean, it's not, you know, I think it's aimed at, you know, kids, maybe 10, 12, 13, who I think are probably getting to the stage where they can understand that, you know, nice people can be jerks too sometimes. So... 
that's yeah, they really, did. It. They, they they definitely did not attempt to gloss over that. That's really interesting. Uh, now I really want to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about a book that changed your mind about something, or that really challenged the way you think about the world? So, for me, the one this year was um, "This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things: Mapping the Relationship Between Online Trolling and Mainstream Culture" by Whitney Phillips. And I think um, what that book really helped me to see a bit more clearly was that kind of the relationship between trolling behavior and kind of broader societal trends and not to see, oh, troll, trolls are bad. Um, and, and so, yeah, I thought, I thought it was, a, and I think it was based on perhaps a PhD thesis or something like that. So it can be a little on the academic at times, um, but I thought it was generally a really good book and, and a really fair presentation of, you know, okay, yeah, trolling culture is is not a great thing, but it's also you also need to see it see that kind of trolling culture embedded in in broader and kind of broader social trends. So yeah, that that was a that was a book that I I really enjoyed the mind broadening aspects of. So I actually have two books that I I would recommend here. The first is The Leading Indicators, a short history of the numbers that rule our world. And this is one of these books that I again, I didn't anticipate it. Uh, didn't anticipate it would be as good as it was. Um, it's essentially about, we get all these numbers thrown at us all the time to tell us how we're doing as a society or as a country. Uh, so economic numbers, we've got GDP, GNP, um, unemployment, inflation, uh, consumer confidence numbers. Um, all of those numbers we kind of get thrown at, we see every day, especially when it comes to politics, they're always big matters of discussion. Um, but we don't really know what those numbers mean. And I had never really thought about them as, as something that arose from a certain period of time to deal with a certain type of problem that they were facing at that time. And this book really goes into the history of the numbers we still use today and the benchmarks we still use today and talks about where they came from, why they are what they are, and how they're calculated. And it also talks about why, in a lot of cases, those numbers are no longer as meaningful or potentially no longer as useful as they used to be because they were created to deal with a very certain problem or to measure a very certain problem that has changed or no longer exists in the same way. And that is something that I had never really thought of and it never really occurred to me to go in and dig into those numbers and figure out whether or not they're still relevant. And so I really look at uh, reports and conversations and especially in political conversations that focus a lot on these numbers in a very different way than I did before. The other book I read uh, that I just recently finished is To Save Everything, Click Here, The Folly of Technological Solutionism. And this one is kind of close to my nerd heart because during the day I'm a web developer and I know a lot of people in the tech industry, in particular in the startup industry. And this touches a lot of the buttons that I have because it talks about whether or not the solutionism that we have right now, the kind of app-focused a uh, way of, of quote unquote fixing things and the internet centric culture that we were having as it relates to kind of using the internet to solve all of our problems or putting everything on the internet, whether or not those are, are good things and whether or not those are actually helpful things and whether or not some of the efficiency we find or that we seek in trying to um, internet or solution technology solution our problems is actually the best way to go about doing it and whether or not it will create more problems that are potentially more difficult to solve uh, by fixing these kinds of issues in, in a certain way. So it really challenged me to think about my own industry and my own ideas about technology being an entire good and whether sometimes efficiency and uh, sort of seamless, frictionless 
UI and frictionless technology is a good is always a good thing. And um, it, it was a really challenging book to read in places because it it kind of fundamentally poked me in my mushy core. Um, but I always come out of those books feeling like I've really learned something and had a taste of another worldview that I didn't have before. So what about a book that you would give the person in your life who doesn't usually read science books? Well, uh, there was a book I started reading called Science of the Magical, From the Holy Grail to Love Potions to Superpowers. And this is kind of one of those, um, I really like these kinds of books where there's just like a bunch of facts that coming at you. And again, this is all about, you know, how it's looking at magic from things that people think of as magical or like old Greek texts where they've talked about using a magical plant to stave off a, a poison or something. And then the, the author looks and says, is there any actual science behind this? And he does. He, he talks to scientists who are researching these ancient texts or, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch that he uncovers. But uh, it's, I think it was a pretty approachable book. Um, pretty good for the person who just goes like, well, we don't know how things are done. You know, and instead of just saying that, it, it kind of approaches it from a, you know, is there a way that, that this can be figured out scientifically or, you know, and I find like uh, one of the things with this book is like, it's easy to look at people in the past and be like, oh, that's, look at them. They think everything is just magical. But nowadays we've kind of replaced that with like um, words like toxins or, you know, GMOs or whatever where people are like electrolytes. It's got electrolytes. What are electrolytes? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that where he kind of delves into the science of, of what we consider to be magical. So for me, there's a there's a couple of books uh, that I would I would recommend uh, for this in this kind of context. The first one was a book that I was really conflicted about and that was uh, kind of controversial when it came out. It, Galileo's Middle Finger, Heretics, Activists and the Search for Justice in Science by Alice Drager. And that's kind of an interesting book because it's all about uh, the, co the collision between activists and scientists and kind of how you play off the diff different ethical dimensions of that. And I think the reason I would give that book to someone who didn't read a lot of science books is I think it gives kind of an interesting insight into the fact that scientists are people and that science is an sci science while an incredibly useful activity uh, and an incredibly successful activity is is still a human activity that that reflects all the uh, all, all the pain and anguish and flawed nature of being human so I think that's a really good I think that's a really good book to give people um, kind of a, a, a good idea of what uh, of what science actually is and the other one that when I and this is a, the book that I would have put in my what book couldn't you put down category in that I, I read it in kind of a, 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 a very short blitz was The Only Woman in the Room, Why Science is Still a Boys Club by Eileen Pollock. And that's uh, the, the titles. The title is a bit misleading. It's it's more it's more Pollock's story of studying physics and leaking out of the physics pipeline in the 70s with a little bit of a jump forward to the present day to see, you know, if her if the way women are experiencing being in science and physics has changed. And the answer, by the way, is, is, is not as much as she would have hoped. And so, again, I thought I thought it was a really good book because it it, it certainly 
is it certainly is the kind of book that's a, that 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 will help people understand uh, what you know the de- the degree to which science is is a human activity that has a lot of the issues that the rest of humanity has as well. And I really actually wanted to be uh, to read that book, The Only Woman in the Room, uh, because a few years ago I read a book called The Madame Curie Complex, and I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's a little older, uh, not that much older, but. It's about how, you know, if people are asked to name a female scientist, most people say Marie Curie. And okay, who else? You know, we we only know these like few token female scientists. And this book really goes into like um, female scientists who've contributed and why it's why it might be harmful to only be able to name like one or two female scientists. So it had like science history, it had like feminism, it had, it was a really great project. Uh, pre-book to that book you just mentioned. So we're all out of time, um, but I just want to get maybe a couple of uh, quick hits, uh, including things like what books haven't you read yet, but are on your wish list or anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap up? I do have a few that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, one is called Thing Explainer, Complicated Stuff in Simple Words, and that's by Randall Monroe, the creator of XKCD. So if you read his previous book, What If, where he answers uh, absurd scientific questions which was really really funny of course and then this this is kind of different because this takes a a complicated thing like for example the inside of a cell and explains it in uh common words is how i would describe it like for example he he takes like i don't know the top the most common words and uh, people that people would most be most likely to speak and he uses those and so it ends up being like a really funny but really informative diagram of of science and uh there were a couple other books i i didn't get to yet uh suspicious minds why we believe conspiracy theories of course i always like these uh very cerebral books like that um Nonsense, The Power of, of Not Knowing by Jamie Jamie Holmes. And uh, the, the Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons, The History of the Human Brain as Revealed by True Stories of Trauma, Madness, and Recovery. And this book, I mean, the title gives it away, right? As with most nonfiction books. But the author is Sam Keen, and he's written a few books that I've really enjoyed, including uh, The Disappearing Spoon, which is, it goes through every element in the uh chemical table of elements and talks about the history of that and also the violinist's thumb. So I really enjoyed his previous book. So I think this one would be just as good. So yeah, I have a couple of quick hits as well. Uh, the first one I'll mention is, uh, is one of the leftovers from last year, the book that we, that we, uh, Brian Clegg mentioned last year that I realized that I had to read was serving the Reich, the struggle for the soul of physics under Hitler. Which I think, which I think is legitimate for me to, re- to mention this year because it was only published in North America at the very end of 2014. It's a really, really wonderful book. Uh, I think the second best book that I read this year was Genius at Play, The Curious Mind of John Horton Conway by Siobhan Roberts, a Toronto, a Toronto author. And again, just a, a quirky book about an even quirkier mathematician. Uh, I thought it was, uh, again, a real page turner. Uh, really, really wonderful, uh, book. Uh, as well, uh, maybe another one in the books I'd give to people who don't usually read 
science books is Applied Minds, How Engineers Think by Guru Madhavan. And I think that was a really interesting exploration of the engineering mindset uh, in, a, in a way that I, I thought was it could have been really uh, stereotypical or trivial. But I think he did a he did quite a quite a nice job of uh, of going through going through some of the uh, mindsets of engineers. In terms of the book that I wish books that I'd wish I'd read but didn't get around to, there's a couple: Data and Goliath: uh, The Hidden Battles to Collect Your Data and Control Your World by Bruce Schneier, which I I hope I will still get to before I get overwhelmed by the 2016 books, and The Atmosphere of Hope: Searching for Solutions to the Climate Crisis by Tim Flannery is another that I'd like to get around to reading. Guys, thanks so much for coming on and nerding out about books with me. This was really fun. Yeah, this is Thank great. you. Thanks. If you heard a book that piqued your interest but didn't have a pen handy, do not worry. Just visit our website at scienceforthepeople.ca and go to our show notes for this episode. We will have a roundup of all the books we've talked about today and links where you can buy them. Note also that our links have a little affiliate tag on them, which means that if you have heard about a book on today's show and decide to buy it on Amazon, we would be grateful if you choose our links to click on. For every book you buy after clicking our links, we get a little referral tip, usually around 50 cents. And it's a great way to support the show if you're planning on buying any of the books we've talked about on this episode or any past or future episode. Desiree Shell will be back with more science-themed gift ideas after this. Stay tuned. Science for the People is a weekly radio show and podcast that explores everyday life from a scientific perspective. We are a member of the Skeptic Network, collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on science and critical thinking. To find out where Science for the People airs near you, or to listen to past episodes, check out our website at scienceforthepeople.ca. You'll also find links to support us at Patreon, to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Science for the People, and I'm Desiree Shell. Now, Rochelle, Mary Brock, and John Dupuis just gave you some fantastic holiday gift ideas for the readers on your list. But what about for those people that you buy books for every year and you think maybe it's time to switch your game up? Um, or, heavens forfend, you have family and friends who aren't really readers. What, what does one buy those people? We are not here to judge. We are here to help. So this year, we're going to offer you some non-book holiday gift ideas. And to assist, I have two guests with me today. We have Simon Saval, the founder and CEO of GeekRapt.com, which is the world's largest curated collection of unique science gifts. Hello, Simon. Hi, Desiree. Great to be back. And we are also joined by Courtney Caldwell, who is a communications professional by day, a writer for Skeptic and Mad Art Lab by night, and lover of all things geek. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Desiree. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's make this easy for people. Uh, we will start by breaking it down by people that our audience might recognize in their own lives. Uh, so what science type gifts might one get for the person who has a foodie in their life? So for me, I like home brewing and a lot of my friends are into home brewing. Um, it's very popular right now with the advent of craft beer becoming so popular, um, at least here in the States. Uh, especially in the South. I've noticed in Texas, it's becoming very large. So home brewing is also becoming large as well. So the Northern Brewer Home Brewing Kit, uh, it's a one gallon small batch starter kit, and they have a lot of different flavors that you can choose from uh, for your first try. And of course, they obviously encourage you to spice things up on your own a little bit as well. So pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, I have two recommendations for the foodie or cook in your life. Uh, one is called the Molecular Cuisine Kit. 
So this is essentially what you get when you apply chemistry to food and it allows you to make really spectacular dishes uh, with the help of science. Um, for example, you can make little mint beads that burst in your mouth when you eat them. You can make chocolate spaghetti, which look really crazy. Um, or you can make little floating tzatziki spheres. Um, and it's just a really cool gift, lots of fun for parties and also for the whole family. Um, and the second recommendation I would give is called the Aroma Fork. Um, this is essentially a special fork that um, uses 24 essential oils to trick your brain into crazy flavor illusions while you eat food. Um, and all sorts of uh, funny things happen when you use it, including your mind jumping back to interesting childhood memories and things like that. It's, it's really, really fun. And it's also a great way to, to learn about the sense of smell's role and while we eat food. Really great science gift. I highly recommend it. Okay, now while those are <clears throat> all brilliant, I just realized that I asked a food question first, and we are recording early in the morning. So I don't know if anyone actually heard my stomach rumble, but I, that was wonderful. Um, so how about a gift for someone who's an environmentalist, maybe, and you want to help them promote uh, being the evidence-based kind of environmentalist? I know upcycling is really, really popular right now um, for the crafty types. I'm not really a crafty type, but a lot of my friends have uh, taken old wine and beer bottles and turn them into cute glasses using the uh, Kinkajou bottle cutter. It just allows you to slice the top bottle part off of your bottles, and then you can sand it down and turn it into cute and unique glasses. Courtney, are yours going to be all booze-related? Like, I support this. I just <laughs> want to be clear. <laughs> it's it's likely. <laughs> Simon? Um, that's a fantastic gift idea. Um, I think uh, one environmental thing you, that I definitely recommend is checking out your local science charities. A lot of them offer really interesting nature trips uh, that work for the whole family where you go out into nature and you learn a ton of interesting things about the environment that surrounds you um, while also you know, getting exercise, being out in nature. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay, so how about now, here we'll, we'll get a little bit more specific. How about some math-themed gift ideas? Oh, interesting. Um, one crazy math-themed gift is called the 3D printed Hypercube. So a Hypercube is a, essentially a 3D representation of a four-dimensional shape. Um, and this product is 3D printed based on mathematical calculations. It looks really, really incredible. It looks like a piece of art, and it's a great gift for somebody's office or living room if they're into math. Courtney? Adult coloring is super popular right now. It's really making a big comeback. Uh, so Patterns of the Universe is a color a coloring adventure in math and beauty. So lots of cool geometric shapes and patterns, uh, very mandala-inspired, uh, I think. So that's a big one that's popular right now, as well as for the jewelry lover in your life, there is a pie bracelet with the first 500 numbers of pie. Uh, it's etched in copper and it's on Etsy. Oh, that's I beautiful. love that. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so how about for people who like physics or space, perhaps? Hmm, um, there's a great one that's called an LED space chair. Um, and so this is a beautiful chair that surrounds you essentially in a sphere, which is filled with over one million tiny LED lights. And they're computer controlled uh, to show 140 different star clusters and a bunch of different galaxies. Um, we actually have one at the office that was gifted to us. And when people sit down, they, they can't believe it. It looks really amazing. It's incredible, relaxing experience, too. I have to ask, how much is that? Um, I think it runs around 399 but you, I'm sure you can get sales, especially this time of year. I found some uh, planet plates. It's a set of eight for all the planets. They're $40 by the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. 
They are absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. Um, I believe they're glass and they're 10 inches and they're watercolor paintings of all the different planets and they're quite nice. That's cool. I am super happy that we are doing this show. I have never heard of <laughs> any of these. I'm immediately also, going to go onto our own site and look at these. <laughs> Desiree, I also threw in the, um, a set of universe bed sheets because you asked about the price and these are definitely much cheaper. Um, it's also awesome. They use a, a new digital printing technology that delivers really vibrant colors. So if you put them on your bed, your, your bed will look essentially like a cluster of galaxies. It looks really cool. It gives your bedroom a really fresh look. So oh. that's highly recommended too. You guys are good at this. I'm very... Okay, no, I'm <laughs> super pleased. Um, how about gifts for folks that are interested in biology? I think this was the hardest one for me to come up with one, but I found a pretty neat place called DNA 11. They actually create huge, beautiful art prints based off your DNA. Uh, pretty interesting concept. I would like to point out, audience, yes, we make our guests do homework. That's what we're here <laughs> for. Thank you. No, that's great. So you send them your own DNA? Yeah, I think that you actually send them like a sample of your own DNA. There's a option to do like a kiss portrait and a fingerprint option as well, but I think the DNA is the most interesting one. That's amazing. I can see that being potentially very creepy. You can actually combine multiple people's DNA on a single canvas as well. So you can do like four people. So you could do like your whole family or something like that. And it'll create like a quad quadrant, I guess, of the four different people's DNA and you can hang it up in your house. Oh, I love that. They wow. have takes... uh, 36 by 48 is like $1,100 though. So it definitely isn't cheap. <laughs> Simon? That's incredible. Um, we actually have a, a similar one on our website that's called Portrait of Your DNA. I think it's it's very close to it, although this one is uh, only 149. Um, and it's the same, you know, t uh, it's probably the most personalized form of art you can get. And you pick different design options and your genes themselves will then determine the final look of the artwork. It's a really cool gift. I, I like it a lot. Um, and other than that, biology gifts. I think one, one of the crazier gifts, if you want to give something really, really unique, um, there's something called glowing fish, and it's exactly what you think it is. Um, these are live fish, which are born with genes that make them glow bright in bright neon colors at night. Um, and it's completely ethical, so they're never injected or dyed or anything like that. They just inherit the ability to glow from their parents. And when you put them into an aquarium at night, they emit this really calm neon light. So... Literally a brilliant gift. I, I really like it. Oh, puns. Okay, so how, <laughs> how about chemistry? What have we got for them? Chemistry. Um, I think uh, one gift that's really fun um, at any party, Christmas or New Year's, is called the Chemist Cocktail Kit. Um, and that's an amazing bar set that looks like a, a couple of different chemistry tool, tools. Um, it includes test tubes and an Earl Meyer flask decanter. Also a fun chemistry shaker for your cocktails. So if you add some food color to the mix, uh, your drinks will look really, really cool in those test tubes. Lots of fun. So I found a periodic table of the elements throw blanket on ThinkGeek. In fact, it was very difficult for me to only pick one ThinkGeek <laughs> item for this list because I spend probably a little more money there than I should. Uh, but they've got an awesome throw blanket that looks great on your couch or on your bed. And it's got the entire periodic table of the elements. What color is it? This is very important to me. It comes in like a red, kind of a rusty red color. Uh, I don't think they have any other colors. I'm looking at their site now and that's the only one. Okay, red is acceptable. All right. How about geology? Please no rock kits though. Come on guys, we all go to the science center. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, I think one gift that combines uh, geology maybe with archaeology is uh, what's called a dig for dinosaur tour. And you can do this pretty much in any state in the U.S. Um, it's a, a really fun archaeological dig that you can participate in. And you get a chance to find real dinosaur bones and actually take them home and collect them, which is pretty amazing. 
Um, at the same time, I guess if you're into geology, you can <laughs> study the rocks while you dig deeper into the soil. And I definitely think it's a, a great gift for the whole family. It's a fantastic activity and probably an unforgettable memory too for everybody. That is a great idea. Courtney? Diamond Select is a uh, very popular toy producer and collectible producer. They created a Star Trek geological tricorder. So it's probably not actually very scientific, but it's a great gift for the Star Wars or Star Trek geek, excuse me. Oh my. <laughs> I will receive emails. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of nasty emails for that one. <laughs> Um, but it's a Star Trek geological tricorder. It comes with some pretty cool uh, ores that you can put in there, and it's got a nice little screen on it, lights up, and it's $90 on Amazon from Diamond Select. I like uh, the intersection of both uh, the duplicate areas of nerdery. That was well done. Thank you. Um, so how about for someone who's maybe more interested in art, um, or we wish was more interested in art because their only interests actually seem to be science, <laughs> what, what kind of things would you get them? I would definitely recommend the portrait of your DNA that we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. Um, there's also some really interesting sellers on Etsy that do artwork using little fragments of black meteoroids. And those look really, really awesome. Plus, you have a, a couple of different meteoroids hanging in your living room. So that's just amazing. Corny. Pop Pop Chart Lab has a lot of different collections of prints that are relatively well-priced, uh, usually only about $30. They've got uh, the very many varieties of beer, um, keeping in line with the booze theme of my of my gift set. Um, there's one of whiskey as well. A uh, very cool one on the evolution of bicycles and how bicycles have looked throughout the years. Um, and some other science and geek-themed ones as well, such as superpowers. You know, I've been on that site I don't know how many times, and I have haven't bought anything, but I think you're inspiring me. I think those, those are wonderful. So, there's so many great ones that it's hard to choose just one. Okay, so we are talking about uh, wearables. Uh, so we, th there are tons, tons of examples online of uh, science and just plain nerdy clothing. So maybe if you could just give me some of your favorites. My favorite jewelry maker is Surly Ramix. Um, she's actually having a handmade sale going on right now. You can use the code handmade in her shop surly.etsy.com she's got a really a lot of really beautiful science inspired geek inspired um and nature inspired uh jewelry pieces throughout her uh throughout her shop so there's a lot of options for pretty much everyone in your life <laughs> as long as they like to wear jewelry <laughs> that's great um i would recommend uh checking out on etsy a uh, something called a fiber optic galaxy dress and this is really cool. This, uh, this is a dress for women that has a bunch of different LEDs and fiber optic technology built in. And you can ch uh, change the colors with a little remote to create really, really cool effects of galaxies and more inside your dress. So perfect for parties, concerts, festivals, and I guess New Year's too. Really, so really fun. Is this wired or is it wireless? Like, can you um, give this to somebody else <laughs> to use? So you can no, it's definitely wireless, otherwise you probably couldn't make it very far from the power plug. <laughs> it has a little battery, and I think because it's LEDs, uh, you know, that's why the battery will last for about 10, 20 hours. And this dress runs about, I think, $99, depending on your size. We live in the future, folks, honestly. <laughs> All right. So how about um, more clothing? Uh, specifically, I'm actually, who makes good, like, nerd clothing for women? Uh, Skeptical Robot has a lot of great science and nerd themed lady cut tees, which are very hard to find. Um, it's very difficult to get a good lady cut as opposed to just wearing a dude's shirt in a smaller right. size. Uh, so Skeptical Robot is uh, one I would recommend. Yeah, and I would definitely recommend, again, going on Etsy. There's a, a lots of really talented artistic sellers that 
make amazing things there, including some really fun astronomy underwear that glows in the dark, and it looks really cool. So for, for, for anyone who might be looking on Etsy, what do you suggest putting in as a search term if you want to find this stuff? I would say um, astronomy, if you're into astronomy, of course, astronomy fashion, astronomy underwear. But in general, if you put in science plus apparel, it will bring up a lot of different results. You can just look through that. Perfect. How about um, specifically plus size women's clothes? I, I know that those are in demand. I would give a huge shout out to Her Universe. Uh, they do a lot of size inclusive dresses, uh, specifically some of their Star Wars ones have been grabbing my eye lately. Uh, the BBA A-line dress and the R2-D2 A-line dress are must-haves and they come in a, in a very wide range of sizes. They do a great job about um, making sure that their dresses are inclusive. You're listening to Science for the People and I'm here with Courtney Caldwell of Mad Art Lab and Simon Saval of Geek Wrapped with our non-book holiday gift guide. Okay, so let's talk about the budding science lovers in our lives. Uh, specifically, let's do a kid's list. Uh, how about under eight? What would you buy for someone who was under eight years old and sciencey, or you wanted to make them sciencey? It's a great question. I would break it down by um, maybe for babies, for toddlers, and for kids because it's it's quite different. Um, I think for babies, what I would recommend is uh, something called the Science ABC flashcards, um, and those teach babies their first words uh, with phrases from the world of science. So. Uh, when you teach your baby those phrases, your friends and family will be really shocked <laughs> when your baby tries to pronounce uh, maybe atom instead of apple or molecule instead of monkey. And that's, that's an awesome gift for babies. Just like puts a little twist on learning your first words. Uh, for toddlers, um, there's a, a really cool uh, kit that's called Teach the Solar System Set. Um, and it's a great way to teach preschoolers about the universe. Um, it includes lots of flashcards, puzzles, posters, and things like that. For younger kids, probably less than eight, I would offer up a home planetarium. These are really cool. I had one as a kid myself, but it looks like the technology has gotten a little better since then. Uh, there's one on Amazon right now, and it is, uh, you actually can just set it in the middle of your, uh, your room, turn out the lights, and it'll display everything on the ceilings and walls. That sounds like a, a gift you could also give an adult. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, for the, for the nine to 13 group, I would say an owl pellet Kit is a really cool way to learn and inspire love of the nature sciences. Uh, kids love poop, so it's a really great, really great way to get them interested. Well put. And I remember going to, to try those owl pellet kits, and they were super fun when I was young. I may have issues, but I thought they were super fun. Kids love poop. <laughs> And maybe you did this in your childhood, both of you, uh, but do you remember the butterfly garden having it as a kid? I think that's a really great classic toy that works for young kids um, where you get a little habitat and you get live butterfly larvae and then you just witness them transform and eventually you can release them back into nature. I always loved it as a kid. I think it holds the test of time and it's perfect for these for today as well. I didn't know they had a kit to do that. I didn't. Yeah, you, you never did that as a child? No. I, I love to do that. I want to do one now. Yeah, See? it's super fun and it's like 10 bucks, so pretty much you have to get it right now. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. It's called, I think it's called the Classic Butterfly Garden. See, now, to me, that's still a good present for a teenager, which is the, the next thing I want to talk about, but I, I think that's something that everybody could be interested in. Absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would, would like to get one right now. <laughs> so how about teenagers? What they hate everything. So what might they like? Teens love hey, hey. music. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, teen, teens love music, so there are some lighted snow globe wireless speakers on Scientific's online. Uh, the, the picture shows them as a set of three, so be careful. They actually come as one. You have to buy them individually. Uh, but they are Bluetooth enabled, and there's like a little spinning vortex inside the globe that responds to the music they're listening to. Uh, so it integrates their love of music and hopefully their budding love of science as well. Lovely. That's a great idea. I would recommend um, a smartphone microscope. Um, so this is just a great modern microscope, but it includes a universal smartphone adapter. And that means that if a teen uses it, they can take photos and videos of the little things they see under the microscope and share it with their friends. And I think that's a, a really great way to get them excited about science, because if you combine smartphones and science, teens will probably really like it. So just add phones or music is what <laughs> we have here. Okay, no, that works for me. Um, how about outdoor gift ideas for those of us who have yards, perhaps, or like to leave the house in the winter? I call them Franken-trees. Uh, most people call them fruit salad trees, but they are trees that have been genetically, I don't know if spliced is the right word, but basically they graft different types of fruit onto one single tree. So you can grow multiple types of uh, fruit from a single tree, if, especially if you have a smaller yard. This is great because it doesn't take up a ton of space. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. That's amazing. Where can you get that? Is that your local nursery? or? You can actually order them online. It's called fruitsaladtrees.com, and they've got like 10 or 15 different types. They've got different citrus fruits, different stone fruits. You can get one that grows all the different kinds of apples. Um, so there's a lot of different options. Oh, that's great. Okay, that's how amazing. about you, Simon? Um, so here's a gift idea that, that's kind of outdoor, but it's also perfect for the holiday season. Um, and then you can get this on Amazon for about $9. It's called Rainbow Fire Packets. And those are little wood fire packets that you use uh, safe chemicals to make your uh, campfire or your living room fire react in different brilliant colors. It looks really, really amazing when you burn it. It looks like a burning rainbow. rainbow. Um, and you can use it indoors and outdoors. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome for the holidays. I'm not even joking. I'm actually taking notes about what you guys are talking about. That sounds wonderful. That's exactly what I want. Okay, so um, for, for those of us maybe that, that do try to avoid going outside in the winter, I'm, just, I'm assuming you can use those fire packets inside as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. They're completely safe. They burn clean, so no worries about that. I hope that everybody who is listening can find something for their family and friends and loved ones and such from this list. I think we've, we've really run the gamut today. Thanks very much to both of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays. We'll be back with a special announcement after this. Every week on Science for the People, we take the latest in scientific progress and relate it to people, our friends, our families, our communities, and our society. And we give researchers, authors, and journalists the time to talk in depth about what matters to them. If you love science but aren't satisfied with sound bites, join us again next week for Science for the People on your local radio station or anytime online at scienceforthepeople.ca. This is Science for the People, and I'm Desiree Shell, and I'm here with Rochelle Saunders. Hello. And we have some exciting new news about the show. Uh, we are planning to partner with Skeptic. And in order to uh, tell you what Skeptic is, I have someone else here with us today. We have Rebecca Watson. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. Thank you for having me on. So uh, why don't you tell the folks at home who might not know, what is Skeptic and what's your role in it? Skeptic is a large network of websites that are focused on science and 
critical thinking. And we've been going for about 10 years now, I think, just sort of incredible in and of itself. And yeah, we're uh, a very diverse group of people. We include, uh, we have a lot of scientists on our team. We have chemists and anthropologists and biologists and astronomers. And we also just have nerds, just fun nerds who uh, like exploring science and critical thinking and how that relates to other topics sometimes like politics or feminism or religion and things like that. So now obviously that is a very good fit for science for the people. I was going to say that mission statement sounds oddly familiar. Yeah, I think we're we're bosom buddies. We, uh, I, I've been a huge fan of science for the people for a very long time and I was really excited at the opportunity to partner with you guys so that we can help each other out. Take over the world. Take over the yeah, world is what we're basically trying to do. that's what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, we're going to take over the nerd internet world. I love this plan. Yeah. So uh, now the audience, uh, no one likes change. Um, so how will this change our programming, Rochelle? It really won't change our day-to-day programming a lot. I mean, what the most exciting part is for us is that we have, uh, drawing from the expertise within the skeptic community, uh, sort of new resource of people to pull from and people who know people to pull from. So we're really excited to have just more people sending us thoughts and ideas, more people to bounce ideas off of, and uh, definitely being able to pull in uh, people from the Skeptic Network more often, which will be really exciting. Rochelle is going to do some writing for Skeptic, correct? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I'm going to have sort of uh, more extended notes. And what we're going to continue to do is on the Science for the People website is post the same show notes that we normally do, but we'll post a link to Skeptic. And we're going to create sort of a more um, bloggy style set of show notes to go with it that talk a little bit about where uh, we've done some of the research for the episode, where the idea came from, and some related information. Um, so really excited about that. Plus, I'm a giant nerd and I'm excited to write. <laughs> I'm so excited too. I can't wait to have you on the team. And I think that the listeners are really going to love this too, because it's going to give them a new ability to interact with you guys and with one another as well, and to really build up the community community of listeners that you have because I mean I am one of your listeners and I know a lot of your listeners and I think that you tend to attract a really awesome type of person and I would love to give all of those awesome people more opportunity to hang out and get to know each other and interact with you and in that way improve the show and you know and skeptic and and everybody wins basically. I love that. Yeah. This sounds now, like an excellent plan. Now another difference is that I will get the ability to do the thing that I love most, which is do more panels and uh, more live panels specifically. And that will be at Skepticon. Yeah. Desiree has been a Skepticon staple for many years now. And if any of the listeners are unaware, Skepticon is the track of sciencey panels that Skeptic puts on at Convergence in Minneapolis every year, every July. And we always beg Desiree to come back because she is an excellent moderator and the crowds love her. So yeah, you're going to be able to pretty much focus exclusively on assembling and running awesome, informative, entertaining panels. That is like my dream, honestly. And the audience benefits from that as well, because we will get to record those and then we can air them on Science for the People. I'm looking forward to the future of this partnership. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. I am also just so excited. I know that everybody, all the others, 
Skeptic contributors and all of the Skeptic sister sites. Everybody is just super pumped to have you guys on board. So thank you for joining the team. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Science for the People. Science for the People is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Helen Quivelon is our publishing liaison. We get research help from Josh Witten. Coordination and additional behind-the-scenes support comes from the enthusiastic Skeptic Network team. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. In return, we regularly post special patron-only extra content and after-show casual conversations with guests. This show is created in partnership with the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on the intersection of science, popular culture, politics, and social justice. You can find out more about Skeptic at Skeptic.org. The show is hosted by Rochelle Saunders and me, Desiree Shell. Thank you.